I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of John, please, chapter number 15. John chapter 15, and we're going to continue on with a series of messages that I've been bringing to you called Effective Prayer. Lots of people pray but get little results. That's not what we want. That's not what we're after, and that's not what we're about. Prayer was never intended by God to not work. That wouldn't have been very smart, and God's totally smart, so uh, he didn't create a prayer system that wouldn't work. He devised a system that would work, but like any other true system, you have to learn how it works to get it to work. And so that's the way prayer is. And you know, if you deal with computers, you know that uh, when you uh, deal with your computer, you always start from the home page, you start in the same place, and then from there you go to wherever you want to go. And so it is with prayer, in a sense, there are certain scriptures in the New Testament that are kind of like the homepage for prayer. This is one of them, John chapter 15 and verse number 7. It's one of those kind of verses. You really couldn't wear it out. You, you couldn't uh, go over it too many times. Jesus is speaking and he says, If ye abide or live in, take up a residence in me. And my words abide, live in, take up residence in you. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Notice some form of you, ye or you, is in there five times. And um, me, referring to himself, is in there once. So that is really a good picture of the ratio of how it's going to work for your prayer life to work. The reason so much emphasis is on us is because we're the ones that need to learn. We're the ones that need to change. We're the ones that need to, to cooperate. God has already done everything necessary for your redemption. He has done everything he's going to do about paying for your healing and your complete deliverance from sickness and disease. He has already given you a covenant of prosperity and given you instructions on the things to do in order to prosper. So that's just the way the kingdom works. This idea that every day we get up and every situation we face, we somehow go to God in prayer not knowing what to do, not knowing if it's going to get answered, not knowing if he's going to work on our behalf, wondering if it's going to work or not work. That is not a picture of the New Testament Christianity that God gave us. That's a picture of religion. That's a picture of, of ignorance. I didn't say stupidity, but I'm saying ignorance of just not knowing. And, you know, Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed. God said through the prophet, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So what you don't know about prayer is going to hinder your prayer life. And all the things that you do know and put into practice is going to increase the productivity of your prayer life. The very next verse, uh, verse 8 of John 15, Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified. So in other words, he's glorified when prayers are answered. That ye bear much fruit. That's the terminology Jesus used. So he equated answered prayer to bearing of fruit. And he said, so shall ye be my disciples. And so we want to be disciples in the school of prayer. Luke 11, 1, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul said, praying with all prayer or all kinds or all manner of prayer. There are some powerful verses they give us instruction about prayer. And, of course, we've been looking at this now four or five weeks this will make. And um, 
and we'll never finish it. We'll, we'll go as far as the Lord leads us to go, and then we'll come back to it again at other times as we continue to learn more. But uh, we are particularly talking about prayer assignments. Everybody say assignments. Prayer assignments are those leadings, those uh, directions and directives from God to pray in a specific area, to pray in a way that deals with usually a time-sensitive issue. Uh, we looked for an example to Daniel, the ninth chapter. We're not going to turn and read all of that again tonight, but it's recorded if you'd like to listen to it. I believe it will bless you. But we looked in Daniel 9 how that he saw from Jeremiah's prophecies that it was time for the captivity of Israel to be completed because God had prophesied 70 years of captivity. And, of course, he could do the math. He understood that that time is here for the freedom to come. And so instead of just saying, well, that's really good, I'm going to just sit back and watch all this happen, he immediately, uh, it would seem when he fully understood what was going on, he took upon him that burden to pray, and he fasted and prayed, repented on behalf of his people, and on behalf of even of himself, though he was an exemplary character, he, he was serious, and he took upon himself this assignment of praying Israel back into the promised land, praying them out of captivity into a land of freedom. Some of you have family members, children maybe, a spouse, a brother, sister, somebody that you are close to and you love. And if you listen closely in the realm of the Spirit, you may be hearing the Lord leading you as you find out these great truths and as you get more tools in your arsenal to uh, do the spiritual warfare that needs to be done. You may be hearing him say to you that it's time to pray them out of their captivity. They may be in captivity to drugs, alcohol, some kind of sexual sin, any number of things. They may just seem to be cold and hard-hearted and just dead set against the things of God with what seems to be no interest for spiritual things or church or serving the Lord at all. Well, that is subject to change. I have good news for you tonight. That is all subject to change. All those hardened emotions, all of that negativity, all of that stuff, uh, much of it probably isn't really so. They're just That's the uh, shield that they put up to get you to be quiet. They don't want to hear what you're saying. And so a lot of times people use the shock value to get you off your game. Well, here's the thing you need to understand about praying for people in these kind of assignments particularly is you, you, can, you can affect them without even speaking to them. As a matter of fact, if you've already spoken to them, <laughs> it might not be a good idea for you to keep talking. You might want to do what Jesus said. How many think Jesus was, was an expert on prayer? He said, pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So it may be that you're not the one that can talk to that person. Though you love them and though you think so much of them and you're so concerned for them, there's a really good chance that there's somebody else that they're going to listen to. Don't be offended about it. Don't be envious or jealous about it. Just accept that and move on. The main thing is that they get straightened out. The main thing is they get saved. The main thing is they get delivered and set free. And so pray for laborers to come across their pathway. And then also pray that 
the work of the Holy Spirit would be completed in them, particularly the work of conviction. Jesus said the Holy Ghost will come and convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's not my job to convict people. It's not my job to judge people. It's not my job to, to, to browbeat people with, with even good news. It's my job to live what I believe, to express what I have. And when I'm asked of the reason of the hope that lies within me, to be able to give every man an answer. And as the doors open, then I can witness, of course. And I can even preach or whatever I need to do. But the thing about it is, when it's not time to preach, and when you've said all you can say to them, you haven't said all you can say yet, because you can go to God. You can go to God. And I need to say this tonight, because I feel the Lord leading me to say it. Even if all they do is get in before they die, that's the greatest victory of all, that they didn't go to hell. Sometimes people forfeit their right to God's best. Sometimes people throw away a great life for a mediocre or a bad life. But the main thing is that they have eternal life and get to go to heaven when this is over. Can you say amen? So we accept these assignments. We should accept these assignments. I'm, I will say it that way. Sometimes you may have an assignment to pray about a, a political issue. You might have an assignment to pray. That's what Daniel was praying about, national issues. Uh, to whatever extent there would have been what we would call politics, whatever that would have been in that day, that's what he was praying about. Because he was serving an ungodly leader. He was serving and had for years served people that didn't really know God. They were non-covenant people. They were wicked and evil people. But God protected him and God favored him and showed him great, great kindness in spite of all the other stuff. You might say, well, getting thrown in a den of lions surely wasn't uh, showing him any kindness. Well, God didn't do that. Daniel's enemies did that. Inspired by the devil, they did that. You see, you got to know the difference between something that, that the devil's doing and something God's doing. You say, how would I know? Well, John 10, 10 is the best barometer I know of that we can use. Jesus said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And when he used the word life there, he used a word that meant the God kind of life. The life that only God has and only God can give. I mean, we have it too, but it's because he gave it unto us. You don't get it any other way but from the Father. Well, um, that's the way you decide and determine. So the, Daniel's enemies, the devil wanted to kill him. But you know, even in spite of all of that, how many of you know that he survived? And he was lifted out of the den of lions and those evil conspirators that had plotted against him to get him put into that den, they were thrown in with their families. I mean, this is rough justice. The men, their wives, and their kids. And before they were fully lowered into the den of lions, they were already cracking their bones and eating them. So they were hungry, but didn't take a bite of Daniel. As a matter of fact, he slept in there. The king that had through the twist of, of political intrigue had had to see that this was done but really didn't want it done, he didn't sleep all night. 
but Daniel did. That's a great, great way to look at things uh, is who's sleeping. (laughs) If you can't sleep, maybe you are not believing you're worrying. You know, they tell the story. Uh, for years I've heard this story about, you know, in London in, the, in World War II in the Blitz, the German planes would come over always at night and drop the bombs. And, you know, there, were, there was a lot of damage, devastation. There was death and destruction. And so the instructions to the people were that when you hear the air raid sirens that you are to go into the shelters. And so they did that. And uh, there was a particular neighborhood where there was an, an elderly lady who lived alone and uh, all of a sudden, one night, they, they noticed she wasn't there. And then another night, they had bombs. She wasn't there. And this went on for a while. And finally, somebody did see her in the daytime out on the street. And they said, oh, there you are. You know, it's good to see you back. And she said, oh, I haven't been anywhere. And they said, well, we haven't seen you. We haven't seen you in the air raid shelters. You haven't been in the shelters. She said, oh, no. She said, I haven't. She said, I was reading in the Bible where it says that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. And she said, I didn't figure there was any need for both of us staying up. And so she slept through it. So you can tell a lot about where somebody is, is you know, who's, who's doing the sleeping. Amen. Who has rest? You know, the Bible says they that have believed, we that have believed, do enter into rest. The idea that you're, you're somehow not a true Christian, that you don't really love people if you don't worry, well, that's not biblical. You worrying is the least scriptural thing you can do for anybody. To not worry but believe is one of the most powerful things you can do for somebody. Now, people who don't know the truth of the word, they misconstrue all of that. And, and they'll mistake that. And they'll think you're a callous person. You don't really care. It's not that. It's that you know that faith is not born out of fear or worry. Faith is born out of assurance and truth from the word of God. So that's why it's important to know what the word says. Praise the Lord. And so Daniel took up this assignment. He prayed, and, and of course, you know the story. Israel got to go back. The temple was even rebuilt. It, it was uh, something that was answered. So an assignment in prayer will always be something that will produce an accomplishment. God would never assign you an assignment that can't get done. So, so think with me for just a minute about this. If you really do sense a burden... now. I'm not talking about just being sympathetic. I'm not talking about worry, as I said a while ago. I'm not talking about just an emotional attachment or an emotional connection or an emotional reaction. But I'm saying that as a believer, you who are a spirit being and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and the witness of the Spirit is within you, when you know from within that this is God leading me to pray in this direction. When you know that's so, then you know that that's something that can be changed or God would not have you praying about it. So it's very, very important that we realize that and it's also important that we realize that 
many of these kinds of things are time sensitive. They are really important to carry out within a time frame because sometimes people's lives are at stake. Sometimes we're praying things away from people. And then there are testimonies that could be given, or even tonight, of people could testify about things that they either experienced themselves or someone they truly know and trust has experienced, and how somebody prayed somebody out of danger, prayed somebody out of death. And there are probably other testimonies here tonight of situations where you knew something was wrong, but maybe you didn't know how to respond, or... You know, I'm not trying to be, you know, mean about it, but maybe for whatever reason, you just, you know, you just kind of, you put it off, you didn't do it, and finally something happened, and you realize, I should have done something. Meaning, I should have prayed. I should have prayed. I remember when Valerie was so sick and fighting a battle for her life, and she looks alive to me tonight, praise the Lord. But uh, I remember I would be led of the Lord at times to pray the Ephesians 3 prayer for her. That she would be strengthened with might by the Holy Spirit in her inner being. You see, Ephesians 1 is a prayer for revelation, insight, information. And that's important. But when you know something and you have revelation of something, then you need spiritual strength to act on it. And when, when people's bodies get so um, sick or maybe in such pain or whatever, it becomes very difficult to yield spiritually. It becomes a great task to stay on task in a spiritual sense. But that's why we can pray for people. We can pray for people. And I've already shared as we've been teaching this series about how I've missed it in that regard. And I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room that has. But we know that, uh, that since we're still here, we can do better today or we can do better tomorrow. Can you say amen? amen. And so these uh, prayer assignments are important for us to take up. And I want to say another thing about it. And that is, um, please remember that your prayer assignment... Uh, let, let me... Uh, pause that for a minute. Let me back up just a moment. There are assignments that we all have that we need to continually see to. When Paul told Timothy, I would that you first of all pray for kings and all that are in authority. Praying for those in authority is an assignment we all have. It's not a matter of who we voted for or didn't vote for, what we like or don't like. That doesn't make any difference. I pray every day for whoever's in office. I pray every day for our president, every day for our vice president. I've done that for years. I've done it both parties in. Uh, I've done it when I agreed. I've done, I've done it when I didn't agree. Because it's not about my opinion. It's about the command of God. Because God can change people. God can change hearts. God can change circumstances. And so we're commanded to do that. There are certain assignments that we have. Um, we read and we understand, at least in, in our circles, we, we truly believe that based on the scriptures that we see, that we are in a period of time of a latter-day outpouring, the last of the last days. We're coming to the end of the age, and that is accompanied, according to what we can see from scripture, with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a renewal, a restoration, and a refreshing and a, and a revival 
of the book of Acts type of Christianity, the supernatural, the miraculous, and the great harvest of people into the kingdom of God. We truly believe that. That's one of our desires as a church to be in that wave and that flow of the Holy Ghost. And so as we pursue that, we understand and we know that we are to pray about that outpouring. And one of the scriptures I use is um, Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. It's an Old Testament scripture, but there is a principle in the verse that would work in any dispensation where the Lord says to the prophet, Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Well, Joel chapter 2 talks about the latter rain. And Acts chapter 2, Peter preached from Joel's prophecy, and he said that that's what this is. This is that, that outpouring of the Holy Ghost, when they were filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues and all that great excitement about the resurrected Jesus, all of that, Peter said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So we connect all of this and realize that one of the, one of the things I'm assigned to do is pray for the outpouring. Ask you of the Lord rain, he said, in the time of the latter rain. Why would I need to ask if he's going to do it anyway? Well, we've explained and we've said, but it doesn't hurt to say it again, that God, who is a sovereign God, in his sovereignty, made a sovereign decision. And, he, and that one of those decisions he made in his sovereignty was that he would involve man in the will of God carried out on the earth. And so he gave man dominion. He gave man authority. Adam sold it out. He became a treasonous person. He sold out and was born again in reverse and went from spiritual life to spiritual death. Plunged the entire human race into spiritual death that would require God himself to robe himself in flesh and come incarnate as a babe in Bethlehem's manger, grow up, live and die, not for himself or for his own trespasses because he had no trespasses, but on our behalf and suffered and paid the price the penalty completely paid that we could be then redeemed. And so then we're brought into the kingdom. And so all of those Old Testament saints who had an arrangement with God, a covenant agreement with God based on the coming Messiah. So they had it based on a promissory note. And all of us in the New Testament who have it based on the finished work of Jesus, the price has now been paid, we can now act as Men and women of authority in the earth to carry out the will of God. God in his sovereignty has ordained that his will and purposes will be carried out by men and women upon the earth. And so prayer becomes one of the most important parts of that whole thing. Because how will I know what to pray for? How, will I, how would I know at this season what to do unless I'm praying and listening and led by the Holy Spirit? Now, I know that this can, you know, to the uninitiated, this might sound really far out. But that's what the spiritual realm is about. Amen? We're not in a world of just whatever will be, will be. We're not in a world of just whatever happens, it happens. We're in a world where we have some authority. And I know that I don't personally have authority over every single person in the world, but I do have authority in my world. I have authority in my house. I have authority over my body. I have authority over my mind. And, and there are 
degrees and measures of authority that we all exercise in various places. And that's why God puts people in certain places and gives them authority and calls them to do things because in that part of the world, they have a degree of authority that maybe somebody in another part of the world does not have. You know, I mentioned we're going to, to uh, preach and going to minister in uh, Arkansas this uh, coming Sunday. Well, you know, I, I don't have the authority in Arkansas that, that Pastor Scott has that lives there. You know, I'm a visitor. So I want to be a blessing, but that's not my home. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, uh, it's not my home. Um, but I do have some authority here. And let me tell you something about places where you do have authority that's that's the places you will get anointed to pray over if you will yield to the holy spirit in those areas that you are you are sent to and called to and you're anointed for if you will yield you will find it so easy to get over into the flow of the spirit and so these prayer assignments, one of the ways that we're confirmed that this is what we're supposed to be doing is the ease with which we can get into the Spirit. Now, I know that for all of us, you know, shutting down the flesh, stopping doing stuff that the mind, the head, the body wants to do, that, can, that, you know, that takes a decision and, and your flesh doesn't ever want to be quiet and it doesn't ever want to uh, do anything but what it wants to do. But once you get past that hurdle and you get over into a true realm of prayer in, in the Spirit you'll begin to find that you'll have great ease and great anointing to flow in those areas. And when you do, you need to stay there until you have finished. Some prayer assignments go over a long period of time. Some are very short. Sometimes people's lives are, are literally saved from a premature death just by maybe minutes or, or more of intense and fervent prayer and intercession there are other situations that we are constantly attacking from the spiritual standpoint to break down and keep strongholds from being built and keeping the devil from doing what he's called to do I mean what he tries to do rather not what he's called to do so we have to understand how important that it is that we yield to the Holy Spirit and I've got just a few minutes left and I want to ask you now if you'll turn with me to Romans 8 and this is where we will uh, close out tonight Romans, the eighth chapter. Praise the Lord. In Romans, the eighth chapter, um, I want to look at verse number 26. That's where we want to start. Paul is writing to the to believers here and writing to us. And he says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, the word infirmities there can mean physical infirmity. It can mean sickness and disease. But the actual root word there is a broad-based word. It means inability to produce results. It's that which we, uh, it's that which we would come against that we can't fix in our flesh. Our infirmities, the areas that are weak, the areas that are lacking, the areas that aren't right. This says the Spirit will help in these, these things. 
And then he goes on to say a very interesting statement, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. And so we see that in these kinds of situations, what's actually happening is we've come upon something that we're just not exactly sure even, even what to pray for. And, and I know that all of us, if we've, if we've lived very long for the Lord, we've been in those places. We've faced something, something's happened with somebody maybe we love or a situation at work or whatever it could be. And, and we just, you know, we know we need to pray, but we don't know for what to pray. Now listen carefully, because I said we just got a few minutes, but this is very, very important for us. We know that we always are safe to pray the Word. We know it's always right to pray in line with the Scriptures. It's always right to pray Scriptures. But we also know that there are situations and circumstances where you're not going to go find an exact verse that's going to have every detail of what you're facing. The people you're dealing with, their names are not going to be in there. And so we pray generally from the Scriptures. Everybody say generally. And we start with Scripture. Everybody say starting. So we start in a general fashion with the Scriptures. That's right. And that's something we always should do. But when we move beyond that which we know, when we move beyond what we can comprehend and the problem is there and we don't know at this point where to go next in prayer. Let me say it that way. This verse tells us that the Spirit and the King James unfortunately uses the word itself. You probably, If you have a more modern translation, it will use the word himself, which is proper. The Spirit is not an it. The Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit. Just as much God as Jesus the Christ. Just as much God as God the Father. And so the Holy Spirit himself, it says, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, the word helpeth, so we've read the whole verse. Let's back up a couple things to pick out before we go tonight. The word helpeth there is an interesting word. And uh, there are things, you know, in Scripture, the Scripture originally written in Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but those who are tell us that this word helpeth, we have that one, one English word in our New Testament, in our uh, King James Bible, the word helpeth, and it's a good word. But actually the word means to take hold together with, against. Take hold together with against and the the word against meaning to in, in order to move it or change it so if you know if i had if this uh capital on top of this post were a thousand pounds or even much less i couldn't lift it <laughs> you know some months back we went down to smith county to uh, uh glenna's youngest brother had never been to his grandfather's uh, grave because Glenna's grandpa was passed away when her mother was just a few months old and so uh, 
none, none of us ever saw him or knew him, only in pictures. And so we went, we drove all the way down there. You know, it's not far, you're not far from uh, um, Bristol to go down there. And he'd left, he'd left Southwest Virginia many years ago, went over into the coal fields and, and uh, he got pneumonia and died as a young man. Anyway, so we went down all the way there, got there to the cemetery, and lo and behold, the dear man's headstone had pitched over forward, and um, we could not get it back up. I don't know what that thing was made out of, but I couldn't do it. So he and I took hold together with each other against the weight of the headstone and unlike the Holy Ghost who always can help you, my brother-in-law couldn't do it. And I couldn't do it either. So, you know, if I can, you know, that's pretty easy. But if it weighed 1,000 pounds, or let's say 500 pounds, I would need somebody to take hold together with me against the weight of this in order to move it. And that's the picture of Romans 8, 26, the word helpeth. It's that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and takes hold together with us against whatever that may be. And what does that look like? What does that look like? He says in the latter part of the verse, he does that through groanings which cannot be uttered. Some of you have heard the name P.C. Nelson. Peter Christopher Nelson was a linguist. Uh, he, was a, he, was a, he was a minister, uh, but he was, he was a uh, learned linguist. He was recognized not only in the church world, but even in the secular world as, in his day, one of the leading authorities on the Greek language, and he was also well-versed in the Hebrew language. But, of course, the New Testament being written in Greek, that was his specialty. When he went to church and went to meetings, he, he took a Greek New Testament. And so one day he was with a group of ministers, and um, he taught about this verse, read from his Greek New Testament. And, of course, P.C. Nelson was one of the early pioneers of the Assemblies of God. He helped write the book. There's a book that you can still get, I think, called Bible Doctrines that he wrote. And it's just, he's just a wonderful scholar. And he was a spirit-filled man. And by the way, he'd started his ministry as a Baptist. Thank God for the Baptists. Many of us were Baptists. Now we're Baptists plus. And uh, anyway, uh, uh, he, he was uh, a Baptist minister in Detroit, Michigan. And in the early days of the 20th century, he was ran over by an automobile on the street. And uh, it looked like he was going to lose his leg. And, you know, that'd be bad now. But you can imagine in the 20s, that was a major, major thing. And he had never prayed for the sick and didn't know anybody who did. And he was prompted in his spirit to call, James 5, call for the elders of the church to anoint him with oil and pray over him. And he protested to the Lord, Lord, I don't know anybody who does that. And somehow, some way, a connection was made, and a Pentecostal brother and his wife came, and they prayed for him, and the Lord raised him up, and he kept his leg all of his life. Well, later on, many years, he was in this minister's meeting, and this meeting particular, there was a young man there by the name of Kenneth E. Hagan, and he heard him say, 
as he was teaching from this verse. This last portion about the Holy Ghost making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered does not mean that the Holy Spirit's doing all your praying for you. Please don't misunderstand. That's not, it's the, the, it, the Holy Spirit can't do your praying. Nobody can do your praying. That's why when the Lord gives you a prayer burden or a prayer assignment, you better follow it through because if you've got it, I don't. And by the way, don't try to make everybody come under your prayer assignment. Just because you're agitated about something, just because you're moved about something, just because you're concerned about something, that's wonderful. It's all right to share it, but not everybody's going to have your assignment just like you don't have theirs. And so you know the great uh, hymnist of the church, Hank Williams, did a song, Mind Your Own Business. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not saying you really just have to solidly mind your own business about these issues. But don't try to put your burden on somebody else. Amen. God's got so many things that need to be changed in the earth that he sees that I'm sure we could all have a different assignment. We're still not even going to come close to getting it all done. So anyhow, but when you, when you sense that, it's not the Holy Spirit praying instead of you. It's the Holy Spirit praying through you. And P.C. Nelson said that that last part would be something that we could understand to say it this way. The Holy Spirit prays for us with, with groanings which cannot be articulated in our regular, normal kind of speech. Now, as a Pentecostal church, would I be safe to say that we've heard something about saying things in a language that you don't articulate from your head, but it's not your regular pattern of speech. Anybody heard of that before? It's called speaking in tongues. This verse is talking about speaking with other tongues. And um, it's amazing what you can pray out and pray through, as we say, if you will pray in tongues. And I can tell you, you will be much more sensitive to the things of the Spirit. You will have much better prayer results. You, your Christian life will grow in a much greater fashion if you will spend time, quality time, every day praying in other tongues. One of my goals for 2023 is to pray more in the Spirit than I've ever prayed in any year of my life. Because I do believe that the Lord is leading me to declare that, that 2023 will be a year of breakthrough and blessings. But you know and I know that we have to cooperate with God for those things to come to pass. We're not going to be able to sit and be lazy and, and, and just do anything our flesh says to do and have those kind of blessings. It's cooperating with the Lord. And so when we pray in the Spirit, something wonderful happens. Not only, now listen carefully because I'm just about done. I know you don't think it, but this will get done really quickly. So our musicians, they need to come, I guess. But I want you to know this. Not only... Will you pray about the thing that you have the prayer assignment for or the burden to pray for? But also, verse 27 is connected to this verse. Now, I know many times Christians take verse 27 and 28. Well, I mean, they take verse 28 and they take it completely out of this context. And, and it's funny, some of the people who fuss the loudest about 
keeping everything in context, are the ones who pull this one out of context all the time. Because he says in verse 27, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Notice the will of is italicized. In the King James, that means the translators added those words to help us better understand the thought. They're not in the original Greek. He makes intercession for the saints according to God. So praying in tongues is God talk. It's the God language. I don't know what they spoke in the Garden of Eden. But had man not have fallen, we would all have been speaking. Whatever that language was would have been the God language. The perfect language. On the day of Pentecost, a perfect language was restored to the church. I'm not saying that when you speak in tongues, you're speaking exactly what they said in the Garden of Eden. But I'm saying it's the same principle. You cannot pray in tongues and pray anything other than the will of God. The Holy Spirit would never give you anything that's not the will of God. So when you pray in tongues, you're always praying the perfect will of God. And when we do this, verse 28 applies to you. And I would say, and I don't want to be argumentative with anybody, don't want to debate people about it really, but, and you can take it or you can leave it, which you will anyway, of course. But uh, here's the fact. Verse 28 was written to people that are praying like this. Not to just the whole world at large. Not to everybody that happens to show up at church once in a blue moon. But to people who are actually communicating with God supernaturally. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. You see, when you get involved with God's purpose and you fulfill your call, which would include the call of a prayer, a person of prayer, and you pray in the Spirit, and you pray powerfully and effectively with the language of the Spirit, then you can rest assured, going back to our earlier illustration, you can sleep at night because you know all things are going to work together for your good. Let the lions roar. Let, let the enemy say whatever they will. But I am praying my way and praying myself into a place of blessing and protection. Can you say amen?